Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, good afternoon. So glad that you are here today. Thanks for taking this time. I want to welcome those of you that are joining us in Auditorium 2 and in the chapel as well. Also, uh, many that are joining us online. This is such a special time, uh, such a unique service where we come together at noon on a Friday. We do this once a year, and uh, I am always so thankful for this opportunity that we have to remember. There's some days that you just remember like they're in your brain for one reason or another. Some of them are because of the amazing, wonderful things that happen on those days. And some days it's not because they're good ones. Some days it's because they're not good ones, because they're bad ones. You remember the day someone dies. You remember the day of the accident. You remember the day you got the bad news or the day of the breakup or the day you lost your job. Like those are days that just like the good ones, are ingrained in your brain. Today is an important day. It's Good Friday. Figuratively and literally the darkest day in history. And yet so much was accomplished on this day. Something so bad happened that we call it good. And we're gonna take a look at this today. We see this story from all four biographers of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four of the gospels show us this. And if you're with us Sunday, we talked a little bit about how each one of those gospel writers, it's almost like they were standing on a different corner and watching the same thing that happened in the intersection. So they have a little bit of a different spin on each one. We're gonna look at Mark's gospel today. And so if you have your Bibles, either in a print or a digital form, I'd encourage you to, to join us there. We're gonna look at Mark's account and talk a little bit about what happened on that first Good Friday. We're going to start just Mark chapter 15, verse 24. Mark, Mark says this fairly simply. He says in verse 24 of Mark 15, and they crucified him. It's pretty short in detail, some of what he gives us there. But from his street corner, that was all he needed to say. Mark's gospel was written primarily to those who had a Roman background. They were familiar with the Roman culture, the Roman society. So when he used the word crucified, he didn't have to paint any different picture. They knew because they were in that culture familiar with what a crucifixion was. They knew what it looked like. What I want to talk about a little bit today is what happened when Jesus was crucified in the natural, in the spiritual, to Jesus, to other people. Like in those moments, what happened when Jesus was crucified. So we're just gonna walk through some of the description that Mark gives to us. Mark chapter 15, we'll, we'll go to chapter 15, verse 33, to kind of move through this and just simply talk about what happened on that first Good Friday. Verse 33, it says, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Now this is one of those details, if you're familiar with the story, that it's easy to just kind of just kind of whip by. But if you think about how significant that was, that at three in the afternoon and, and, and starting at noon, that darkness comes over the whole land, well, think about that. That's the brightest part of the day. <laughs> that in the brightest part of the day, there is this, what, what you could call a very unnatural darkness that comes and covers over the whole land. 
Now, people have tried to explain this kind of a way over the years, to try to say it was some kind of natural phenomenon that happened. And sometimes people will say that it was an eclipse. And the reality is, if you looked at the time of the year where that happened and the Passover moon that would have been in the sky, it is highly unlikely that this was an eclipse. We don't know exactly what it was, except we know that in the natural, there was an expression of what was happening in the spiritual realm, that there was this darkness that came at the brightest part of the day and covered the land. Why darkness? Well, darkness is the absence of light. And when light is gone, that's when darkness takes over. And somehow in that moment, in the spiritual realm, and then it affected the physical realm, there was this absence of light that somehow God withdrew or God was absent or God responded in some way. There's all kinds of questions that we can ask. One of the things we know is that in that darkness, it was evil's triumph in that moment. Like that darkness represents such a presence of evil. And in that time, kind of a symbolism of God's wrath and his judgment, it was truly the darkest moment in human history. Why? Like, why do we see that there in this moment? Because in that moment, we're talking about a collision with the Son of God and sin itself. And what we know about sin is that sin separates us from God. What's what's sin? Well, sin is when you and I make decisions and choices to respond in some way that is opposite to what God would have for us to do. It's rebellion. It's disobedience. You, You can call it a mistake. You can call it a bad decision. You can call it kinds of things. But what it is is sin Scripture says that there's not a one of us that haven't sinned, and if you're honest with yourself, no matter what you think of yourself, what you'll find is that there's some place where you've rebelled against God, and what we know is because God is righteous, there is no way for us to get to him because our sin blocks the way. If you've watched the news over the course of the last few weeks, you've, you've probably seen the story of the Ever Given. Anybody seen this, the ship that was stuck in the Suez Canal? Do you know what I'm talking about? This, this boat, which it's not fair to call it a boat, was the size of the, is the size of the Empire State Building. Like, it is um, one of the largest ships in the world. It weighs by itself 200,000 tons and can hold up to 20,000 cargo containers. When you see a picture of this thing when it's fully loaded, it is incredible and it is impressive. And somehow, they're still trying to figure out the whole story. The Suez Canal is that waterway that connects the Mediterranean to the Red Sea. It's so significant to shipping that happens around the world. You've probably got something you've ordered that will take longer to get to you now. Right? And the economic impacts of this on shipping and production and so many different things, it's, it's crazy to think about because there was this one thing that blocked that waterway. And I don't know if you saw any of the pictures of it, this massive ship that is stuck kind of diagonally at one of the most narrow points of the Suez Canal, and they're trying to get it out, this massive ship with this tiny little digger machine. Did anybody see that picture? You're just looking at it, you're like, there is no way. Well, they had a lot of factors, and I don't know that people really fully understand how it got stuck or how it got out and the rising tide and all these different things. Here's the deal, though. When I saw that picture, I said, that little thing, it, it feels like it's futile to try to move it. Can I tell you what has more power and ability to block you from God than any massive ship? Your sin? Because sin blocks us. It keeps us from experiencing God's presence and who he is. And we're stuck 
And look, no matter who you are or your age or your circumstances or where you've been or where you've come from, if you're honest with yourself, you'll know that there's something inside that outside of a relationship with God is missing. And we're stuck because sin blocks us from God. So what that means is somebody, something, somehow, we have to deal with that sin. This is why Good Friday is so important. Jesus took our sin upon himself. And this is what happened in the darkness of those moments, those, 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 those hours that he was on the cross, that darkness that was there from noon to three. In those moments, Jesus took our sin upon himself. Had he ever sinned, yes or no? No, he'd never sinned, he was perfect. He's, he's the son of man, but he's the son of God. He was tempted in every way like we are, but he did not sin. And yet in that moment on the cross, he took our sin upon himself. Here's how the Bible says it. Galatians chapter three, verse 13. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. This is important, and it's important that you understand that in the moments of that darkness, Jesus brought something to us that we could not do on our own. And for many of us, we know that. In fact, that, that's what's brought us here today. For many of us, we have known that, but we've kind of gotten too comfortable with it. For some of us, you've been trying to figure out why it feels like there's moments of darkness in your life. And it's good for you to know not only why, but how that can be changed. I have this real vivid memory. I've probably been, I don't know, four or five years old, something like that, being asleep in my bed, and at some point waking up and thinking to myself, I can't see anything. Like, I literally, I just, I could not see. And you're a little kid, and you start to kind of freak out. Because what you're used to in your room, you can't make any of it out. And I remember thinking, I got to do something about this. And I remember getting out of bed and like, you, you've maybe done this at some point, doing this thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? And just kind of making my way, feeling walls, doing all this, and getting over to, to, I knew better than to wake up my dad. So I went to my mom's side of the bed. Whether I could see or not, don't wake him up. And waking my mom up. And say, Mom, I'm blind, I'm blind. I've gone blind. And it only took her a few seconds to realize you're not blind, the power's out, and you don't have your nightlight, you big baby. <laughs> the electricity had gone out, there was no power, so I couldn't see with the light I was used to. I thought I'd gone blind because of the darkness that was in my life. Funny story from a preschooler. Not funny when it's in your life. And there's these moments in our lives where it's good for us to come to terms with the fact that on my own, there's something missing. And sin has this tremendous effect on our lives to not only block us from God, but to be destructive. That's why when in its full fury, Jesus took it upon himself on the cross, you can understand why there was darkness over the whole land on what should be the brightest part of the day. Watch what happens next in the story then. Mark chapter 15, verse 34. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, 
Eloi, Eloi, lama sabatani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? By three in the afternoon, Jesus has now been on the cross for six hours. Crucifixion would have begun at nine that morning, scripture tells us. And the quote that we have here, those words that don't make any sense to us are in Aramaic, which is most likely the language that Jesus would have spoken to the people around him, to his disciples, when he would have taught in Galilee. So these are the actual words of Christ that are recorded here. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like, that's heavy. And you ask, in that moment, why did he talk to God and call out to God as if God had abandoned him? Because somehow in him taking sin upon himself, he senses the absence of God's presence. Sometimes you'll hear people explain it, that they, almost like God has, has turned his head from Jesus. That he's abandoned him in that moment. That he's forsaken him as he's taken on sin. And we see that. I think that's symbolized in the absence of light in that moment. But it goes deeper than this. I always thought this was just something that Jesus just said. It was just something that came out of his mind while he was on the cross. Actually, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, he's quoting Psalm 22. This is an actual psalm, a psalm of David from the scriptures where David writes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a, that's a quote, isn't it? That's word for word. That's a quote. Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night but I find no rest. Like when Jesus said that, he wasn't just expressing his own abandonment and frustration. He's quoting an actual scripture here. He is taking an Old Testament scripture and applying it to this New Testament situation. Jesus is expressing this. There's a powerful thing that's happening here. The other thing that's good to remember though is that when he would say that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To people who would hear that, in those times, to Jewish people, they would have known the scriptures. Say so they would have heard him quote the first verse, but they would not have stopped there in their mind because they were probably so familiar with that passage of scripture that what he said in just that one sentence would trigger the whole passage for them. We, we do the same thing. If I were to say to you, we hold these truths to be self-evident, you'd go, ah, that's from the Declaration of Independence. If I said, we the people, you'd fill in the Constitution. Maybe from a biblical sense, if I just use the words, the Lord is my shepherd, you know that was Psalm 23. Like if you're familiar with the scriptures, if I just say our father, you're going to jump right to the Lord's prayer. Because there's certain things that as soon as you give a portion of it, it triggers the rest. So when Jesus quotes Psalm 22, it is not only a psalm of abandonment, of feeling forsaken, of moments of hopelessness. But can I show you how it ends? Because Psalm 22 is not just about abandonment. Look at verse 30 of Psalm 22. He says, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Remember those four words. He has done it. What happens at the end of that Psalm is not a course of abandonment. At the end, it has this context of redemption. At the end, it's a psalm of hope. At the end, it's a psalm that's saying, right now it feels like I'm abandoned. And you can read through the whole thing, but it says, God, I trust you to work this out. God, I know you're at work. 
What starts with abandonment ends with redemption. What starts with despair, it ends with hope. And that's a powerful thing to consider, especially on this Good Friday, because in your darkest hour, hold on to hope. Look, you will go through tough times, and we will face difficult situations. Maybe you're even in one of those right now. And I would encourage you that if you are in a dark hour, in your darkest hour, hold on to hope. That is a thread that runs all through Scripture. Some people say, why would God do this? Is God mean? Is he cruel? Does he get his jollies out of hurting people? Like, honestly, did he hate his son? Is that why he sent him to the cross? Jesus didn't go to the cross because God hated his son. Jesus went to the cross because he loves you, because he loves us. And in sending Jesus in a dark hour, he could bring us hope. Maybe a word of encouragement that someone needs to hear. God can bring purpose from pain and salvation from suffering. That's the story of Good Friday. Let's fast forward a couple of verses. Verse 37 of Mark chapter 15. It says, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Mark uses the the same phrase um, a little earlier in verse 34 where he talks about how when Jesus called out there, he did it with a loud voice. We might just skip over that, but that's really significant. The fact that he did it loudly. I won't go into all of the gruesome detail, but crucifixion is excruciating. And what was planned for those that would be crucified was probably the most intricate design of torture and execution that humanity has known. It was not just this simple death. It could last for hours, maybe even days. And as Jesus is going through this, let me read you a little bit. This comes from a doctor, Dr. C. Truman Davis, who has written a really helpful article on what happened to Jesus physically while he was on the cross. It says that Jesus experienced hours of limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain where tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Yet another agony begins, a terrible crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. When you hear this, understand there is something internally, there's a war that's going on in his body. One of the things that happens during crucifixion is there's this asphyxiation that happens where you're trying to breathe and you can't and spasms that come with that. And we can go all those details, but here, let me just help you to understand that if that's going on, you're probably not crying out with a loud voice. What's so unique is that someone in that physical state has the power, the ability, the presence of mind when you can't even breathe to be able to call out in a loud voice. And this is important for us to understand that Jesus displayed his power even in his death. Now he experienced that gruesome execution, that horrendous excruciating pain. In that, he went to the limits of his human capability and in his power over death, in his death, expressed these things to you, what he wanted you to know. Watch this, John chapter 19, verse 30, and this is key. When he had received the drink, and now we're looking at it now from John Street Corner, right? This is what John saw. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. 
you remember the end of Psalm 22? Do you remember what we read there? When at the end of that, it said, he has done it. Doesn't that sound like it is finished? Like he's announcing that the hope, it's come. And he says, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus had accomplished the defeat of sin that sin had brought the darkness over our lives. It's a tremendous thing to be able to declare, it is finished. Have you ever been in a project you thought would never get done? We started a bathroom remodel, I don't know, weeks and weeks ago. And uh, my wife is, is a creative genius. If you know Rhonda, like she, just, she has this ability to see something and to see what can become of it. And even if it's a mess, she can try to make it beautiful. She's been doing that with me for 27 years, right? So praise God. Thank you, brother, for your unhelpful affirmation. And so... Um, we're in this bathroom project, right? And she's, she's, she's epoxied the tub. It looks totally different. We put down a new floor, new light fixture. We've got a new baseboard. We've got this new mirror. Put in a new toilet that I put in twice because I didn't realize the flange was broken. That's a whole long story. And I'm, I'm on the floor, right? And I get the last cap on the screw on the toilet. And I know it's all done. And I stood up and I looked around. And I didn't shout it, but I thought to myself, it is finished. I'm getting out of here before Rhonda sees something else I got to fix, <laughs> right? But there is that moment where you know that something was completed. Don't let those three words slip by as just something minor that happened. Because when Jesus proclaimed it, he proclaimed something powerful, eternal, something that brought salvation. Here's how Paul describes it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Look, why this day is so important. Why once a year we carve out this time on a Friday? It's because what Jesus did for us, he became sin. He took that on so that we might become the righteousness of God. And some of you know what it's like to feel that darkness. Some of you know what it's like to feel that pain. Some of you know what it's like to, to sense the, the weight of your sin or someone else's sin or the broken world that we live in. And can I encourage you, like I appeal to you on this Good Friday, do not miss what Jesus did for us. Whether you've been a follower of Jesus for decades, or if maybe today's the first you've interacted with the church in a long time, do not miss what Jesus did. Do not miss how he died so that we might be changed, that he took on the most incredible renovation project of all time so that he could then say, it is finished. Sin is defeated and you can be changed. Whoa, big fella. Why are you stressing this so much? Because Paul told us to. Verse just before this, verse 20 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, we therefore are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, 
be reconciled to God. That's what Good Friday is all about. And if you've never been reconciled to God, or maybe if you have at some point, and since then there's a separation between you and him, know that today Jesus died so that things could be right, that that blockage of sin could be removed, that you could be right with God. Let's go back to our story. Let me show you what happened. Mark chapter 15, verse 38. As Jesus died, as he breathes his last, as he cries out, it is finished, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That seems really random because Jesus is being crucified on Golgotha and then you like, kind of like a drone footage across Jerusalem and you go over and you look now at the curtain of the temple. What, what do we mean when we say the curtain of the temple? Well, there were many kind of decorative curtains that hung in different spots in the temple, but there was one in particular, the curtain, that was outside of the holy place, which is where the priest would be able to go periodically and offer sacrifices. And it covered up the most holy place, the holy of holies the place where only the high priest could go once a year to offer the sacrifice, literally considered to be the presence of God. That was the curtain. And when Jesus died, it's as if, and when you read this, you get this feeling that God did it. That from top to bottom, God tore that curtain. And when he did, he ripped open the entrance for man to be able to approach God. Understand this, Jesus' death made a way for man to come to God. That's much more significant than getting a ship the size of the Empire State Building out of the Suez Canal. He removed that barrier between God and man. We have access. And Paul tells us no matter who you are, you have access. And understand this, when you go to the book of Hebrews, and for the sake of time, we we won't do a deep dive there, but when you go to the book of Hebrews, when you say, well, what does that bring to me? One of the things that that brings to us is when that curtain was opened up, we have forgiveness because Jesus died. We know that we can have our sins forgiven. We can have our lives changed. And we have forgiveness because Jesus died. He's changed our lives. He's given us that hope. He's given us that forgiveness. And then in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, he tells us this, that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He says, look, because he split open that curtain and he's in the very presence of God, you have an anchor that in the storms of your life, Not only do we have forgiveness, but we have hope because Jesus died. Not just any hope, not a mediocre hope, not a washed out hope. We have real hope because Jesus died. Look, we we could take hours talking about that idea, what happened when that curtain was torn and how it opened up access to God. But what's fascinating is that is global. Like that's eternal, that's theological. It's, it's so huge that it applies to every person everywhere that God made access for us to get to him through the death of Jesus. But let me take it from that macro, from that global down to the micro. Let me take it to you. One last verse. What happened when Jesus was crucified? We've seen the darkness. We've seen the abandonment. We've heard him cry out. We've seen the temple curtain torn from top to bottom. And then in verse 39, we see this. 
when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Who's, who's this centurion? He would have been a Roman soldier. He would have um, oversaw a group of soldiers. And when he received the call, what he would have done is he would have gone and he would have overseen the execution of Jesus. He would have been the one who would have been there during the beatings and the mockings. He would have overseen the journey to Golgotha. He would have seen Jesus be crucified. He would have stood by and watched over those six hours that he was on the cross. The Bible tells us that this centurion, this Roman, this man would have watched what would have happened. Not just a normal crucifixion, but there was an earthquake. There were rocks that were split open. He would have seen the darkness that came for those three hours. And when he saw it all, he looked and he saw Jesus. And he said, this wasn't just a normal criminal. This wasn't just another rebel. The, the guy on this cross was not just the, the kind, of, kind of scum that I typically crucify. Can you imagine having to oversee that? how it would harden your heart, how it would change your perspective. And when he saw Jesus, he didn't say, well, there's another one. He said, there's something different with this man. Surely this man was the son of God. To our 21st century Christian mind, we hear son of God and we go right to Jesus as the son of God. We think of the Trinity. We think of those things. That wouldn't be what this guy would have thought about. When he would have said the term son of God, it would have been very loaded for him. Because after Caesar's death, the emperor Caesar, who had taken on for people to worship him, Caesar's after him would often be referred to as the son of God. It was a part of worshiping their, what they called the imperial cult. It was a part of them giving allegiance to not just their government, but they actually believed that the Caesars would come from God and they would be worshiped. And so the Caesar would be referred to as the son of God. So now this guy who is a Roman soldier who has pledged his allegiance to the empire and to the emperor now uses the very term that you're supposed to call the emperor and instead refers to this dead man on the cross and basically, he's saying, the emperor may be the official son of God, but this is the real son of God. It was a statement of allegiance. It was a statement of worship. It was a statement of a life that was changed. And I think it's so significant that the life that God chose to highlight for us is the last one you'd expect. The Roman pagan, idolatrous executioner had his life so changed that he's the one the scriptures use to identify the real king of all the world. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just open up a way for us to come to God. He opened up a way for God to come to us Jesus' death made a way for man to come to God, but Jesus' death made a way for God to come to man. 
And that's what this is all about. You probably know there's a whole lot more to the story than just Good Friday. We'll save that for tomorrow and Sunday. Is that okay? Because <laughs> I think it's really important that we stop right here and remember what Jesus did for us. Because just like that Roman centurion, you can know light in your darkness. Just like those people who had turned away from Jesus but will eventually become followers of him, you can know the life change that only he can bring. That in this moment, if you don't already have that forgiveness, if you don't already have that hope, you can find it in the one who died on the cross for our sins. This isn't fiction. It's not a story. This happened. And I'm so glad it did, aren't you? Can I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment, whether you are in this room, auditorium two, you might be in the chapel, you might be watching this on a screen somewhere, you might be listening to this somewhere. Would you just search your own heart And maybe you get to church every Good Friday. Or maybe this is the first you've given God attention in a long time. If you need hope, if you feel like you're in a dark season, would you just take a moment and reach out to the one who knew what it was like to be abandoned? so that he could bring you hope. So that he could say, whatever feels undone, whatever's a mess in your life, it's finished. I've made it new. He took on sin for us so that we could be made right with God. That he came to bring hope to the hopeless. And if you need that hope today, right where you're at, would you just say, Jesus, in my family, in my job, in my spirit, in my health, would you bring me hope? Maybe that need for hope for you goes beyond just this moment. But you know that you need that forgiveness that we talked about. That when we talk about Jesus' death on the cross and how he paid the price so that your sin could be forgiven, you say, forgiveness, that's what I need. I don't just need hope. I need to know that the things that I've done that have separated me from God, the things that I've done that have hurt others, the things that I've done that have brought destruction to my life, I need forgiveness from those things. And I really believe that there's somebody who's hearing these words today that you know in your heart what you need is to say, God, I can't do it on my own anymore. I need you to bring your forgiveness into my life. I need you to change me. Maybe it's for the very first time, or maybe you need to pray this prayer again and say, Jesus, would you change me? I need your forgiveness. I give you my life. If that's you, right where you're at, will you just raise your hand? You can raise it, put it up, and put it right back down again. This is just between you and God. But if you would just say today, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I give you my life. Yeah, thanks, thanks. Anybody else? Thanks. Praise God. Anybody else? doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter who you are. If you would say, Jesus, I give you my life. In this room, auditorium two, chapel, watching on wherever you're at, that's you. Just raise your hand, put it right back down. It's just between you and God and say, Jesus, I give you my life. If you know that Jesus is your savior, then I'm gonna invite you to join with me in praying this prayer out loud. 
And if today you raised your hand and you say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I need you to be my savior. Would you join with us as we pray this prayer together? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your son to die for my sin. I ask today that you would forgive my sin, be my savior. I give my life to you, my risen Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, we are going to come to the Lord's table, but before we do, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, there's two things that I'd ask you to do. One, um, we would love to send you some information to help you understand, know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to help you in that. On the back of those seats, there's a, there's a little sticker that has a, a little code that's on there. If you, if you have your mobile phone or whatever, you can take a picture of that or just kind of open your camera. And when you put it on there, there's going to be a link that comes up. If you'll go out there, just right from your seat, it's super easy. You can just write from there. Let us know on that form that comes up that you made a commitment to follow Jesus because we would love to follow up with you. We have a group that's starting called Starting Point that we would love for you to be a part of to learn more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Also, right after this service, if, whether you prayed that prayer or not, if you do not have a Bible, that you can easily read and understand. We have one we'd love to give you in our connection center that are friends that are there that would love to talk with you more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I hope you'll stop by there so that we can celebrate what God has done in your life today. Before we come to the Lord's table, can I ask you to stand with me and we're gonna take a moment and, uh, and remember what Jesus has done. You know, Paul tells us that when we come to the time of communion, that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So in these next few moments, I'm gonna invite you to examine your own heart. We're gonna take a moment to worship the Lord together, to thank Jesus for his sacrifice. Maybe that you're watching online and you weren't prepared or ready for communion. I'd encourage you just to find a moment where you can grab something that represents the bread and the cup that you can share in this moment of communion with us in these communion elements. And that all of us would take a moment and examine our own hearts as we sing this song of worship together. Father, thank you for your love. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. In these moments, as we search our hearts, we prepare ourselves to remember what you did for us. In Jesus' name, amen. The passion of our Savior The mercy of our God The cross that leaves no question Of the mercy of his Oh 
invite you to go ahead and be seated if you would please and to take the communion elements. If you're not familiar with these particular containers, there's a clear layer that's on the top that I'd encourage you to go ahead and pull back at this time and you can remove the wafer. Paul writes, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And as you hold the bread in your hands, would you take a moment to stop and remember? Literally today, as we're in the shadow of a cross, we're reminded of Christ's sacrifice, the torture that he experienced, the excruciating death that he went through, also that you and I could know forgiveness so that we could be restored and made new. This moment, your own heart, would you just thank him? Father, we thank you for your sacrifice. Jesus, thanks that you gave your life. We remember today, knowing that without you, we're lost. Knowing that it's only because you became sin for us we can have hope and we can have forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, let's share in the bread together. This time, if you want to go ahead and open up the portion of the container with the cup. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And as you hold that cup in your hands, let's take a moment and think about the shed blood of Jesus. Scripture tells us that because Jesus' blood was shed, there's forgiveness some of us have been holding on to things in our lives for far too long and God wants to bring you forgiveness in this moment that on this day when we've talked about Christ's sacrifice there's some of us that because of the blood of Jesus we need to repent we need to ask him for forgiveness we need to replace the, the things or the moments of condemnation that have come in our lives and instead say, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. I receive God's righteousness. I'm made new in this moment. It's good for us to remember that because of the blood of Jesus, there's healing. We believe that in this moment, there is a healer that can come. And if you need a healing touch from him, in your body, he can supernaturally do a physical work in your body just right now if you ask him. But in this moment, there are emotional healings, there's spiritual healing that God can bring because of what Jesus did on the cross. And because of the shed blood of Jesus, we have hope. Somebody walked in here today, somebody's watching this service 
and you, you came in feeling hopeless. Right now, in this moment of communion with God, Jesus wants you to know there's a hope that can come to you. It can be an anchor for your soul. Jesus, we thank you for your shed blood. Thank you for the price you paid. Thank you for the forgiveness and the healing and the hope that we have because of your sacrifice. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's share in the cup together. And again, could I ask you to stand and because of what he did, can we thank the Lord today for his sacrifice? Thank Jesus for what he did for us. In fact, if you're comfortable as you stand, whether you're here in the building or you're watching this at home, would you just lift your hands to the Lord? Would you just begin to thank him for his sacrifice, for what he's done? We're gonna take a moment and sing this song of praise together. We're gonna take a moment and thank him for what he's done. Make an expression of our commitment to him because of his sacrifice in Jesus' name. Let's take a moment and thank him. Sing it with us. sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Amen. We celebrate that. But that's not the end of the story, which we are very thankful for. Amen. 
Look, the next two days, we are going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have three services tomorrow at three, five, and seven. We have three services on Sunday at our regular service times, 8, 15, 10, and 11, 45. If you've not already registered, I believe there's openings at all six of the services still. And can I encourage you with this? The Saturday ones are very special as well. And so if those are an opportunity for you to come, that's great. But please do this. Would you invite somebody? It's not too late. And when you have that opportunity to say to someone, hey, I will come with you, especially in this season, it could have incredible power. I feel very strongly this is one of the, the most special services we've done musically. It's gonna be really special that the message that God has, he has in place to impact people's lives. You're not gonna to wanna to miss it. Invite someone to be with you. It is going to be a really powerful time together tomorrow and Sunday. Can't wait to celebrate the resurrection with you. Thanks again, those of you watching online, those of you who are here with us in the other auditoriums, those of you in this room. One last time, let's pray together. Father, thanks for your sacrifice. Jesus, thank you that you became sin for us. You who knew no sin became sin for us so we could know the righteousness of God, so that our lives could have forgiveness and have hope. Jesus, that you died, not only so that man could come to God, but that, God, you would come to us and allow our lives to be changed. Lord, may the message of the cross be a reminder of your great love and power to change us. And may our hearts be open these next few days to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we go from here, would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. One last time, let's thank him for what he did in our lives today. So here in these auditoriums, thanks again for being with us. You can be seated if you'd like. Our ushers are gonna come and help to dismiss you in these next few moments. Thanks for helping us in this kind of unique season. Your gracious spirit and your heart during this time has been so appreciated. Can't wait to celebrate with you these next few days. God bless you. Thanks for being here.